Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arseblog Arsecast right here on Arseblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. I realize, of course, this is a break from the usual schedule. The Arsecast normally comes out on a Friday. This is a super duper extra bonus special midweek edition. Because last week I spoke to the author of a brand new book about the new Arsenal boss, Unai Emery. Is he the new Arsenal boss still? How, how long does he have to be in the job before we can just call him the Arsenal boss rather than the new Arsenal boss? I mean, he's new relative to 22 years of Arsene Wenger, but it was last May, I think, when he was appointed. So the current Arsenal boss, the most recent... Ar- anyway, you know what I'm saying. It's Unai Emery, and Romain has written a book called El Maestro, in which he has got uh, really interesting access to a lot of people in the life and around the life and career of Unai Emery, including some of his family, but people who've worked with him as a player. People have worked with him at Sevilla, at uh, Spartak Moscow, at PSG. So there's a very rounded uh, picture of Unai Emery the manager, Unai Emery the man, the ups and downs. It's not like a, a fluff piece that's got to go through Emery before any of it can be published. Very interestingly, he he didn't want to read it until it was finished and Emery himself gave an interview to Romain uh, to, to finish out the book. So I'm going to chat to him about the book, uh, about how it came came about, uh, his experience of, of writing it, of talking to all of those people, and of course talking to Unai Emery. Coincidentally, though, this also happens to be the 500th Arsecast. This is Arsecast number 500. It began in October 2006. That was the very first, I think it was the very first Arsenal podcast. It would have been also one of the first football podcasts in general. Now every fucker's got a podcast, but I'd like to thank all of you who've been here from day one and listened to all 500 episodes. Thank you very much indeed. And even if you haven't listened to all 500, uh, whenever you started listening, thanks for being with me throughout this hourl journey we've been on together. And I thought it might be just interesting to go back to episode one and listen to a little bit of what it sounded like. It definitely sounds different. I listened to it just there a minute ago as I was selecting the clip. And it, uh, well, it definitely sounds different. I sound very different, I think, anyway, to my ear. Maybe not so much to your ear, but I think I sound different. This is me from episode one back in October 2006 explaining to people the concept of an arsecast, because even up till quite recently, you had to explain to people what a podcast was, never mind back in 2006. So this is me trying to, to lay it out for people. So what's an arsecast, you might ask? Well, you know the way the blog is just me writing some shit and you come along and read the shit and everybody likes the shit? Well, an arsecast is just me 
talking shit instead. Uh, you can subscribe to the Arsecast through iTunes if you have that on your computer. So every time there's a new one, it automatically downloads into your iTunes music library. Also, you can uh, subscribe through your favorite RSS reader. And if all that sounds far too technical for you, then that means it probably is. You can just download it directly from the website every time there's a new one. Pretty fucking heavy on the reverb there, what? Blimey. Blimey. In mitigation to the way it sounds, I didn't even have a microphone stand. I had a microphone that was propped up in a, a pewter mug full of pens, and I was kind of leaning into it and trying to talk into it in the right way, and that's why it was uh, a bit poppy. I didn't have a, even a pop shield on the microphone. It was one of those, uh, it's a big condenser mic, so you do need to have a good room treatment, and you need to have a pop shield and all that kind of stuff, so that's why it sounds a bit like that. But that's what the very first Arsecast sounded like, and this is what the Arsecast sounds like now. Again, just want to say thank you to everybody for listening and subscribing, for attending the live shows, for all the feedback and comments and and iTunes reviews and emails and all the stuff that's uh, happened down the years. Thank you very much indeed. And here's to another 500. Of course, we've done 255 Arsecast Extras. Or is it Arsecasts Extra? What is the plural of Arsecast Extra? Arsecast Extras? I don't know. So we've done quite a lot of podcasts down the years. And uh, it's been great doing them. We're going to keep doing them. We've loads more to come. And loads more, of course, on our Patreon site, uh, which you can find at patreon.com forward slash Arsblog. If you like what we do on the podcast, you want to support everything that we do on the site, you can sign up for a fiver a month at patreon.com forward slash Arsblog. Right. Now, let's get on with the show. And as I said, I spoke to Romain Molina about his book, El Maestro. It's available in all good bookshops now. So this is me and Romain talking about the book and talking about Unai Emery. Now, I want to ask you first and foremost, when you say it's an authorized biography, can you tell me a little bit how it came about? Was it a case that you had the idea and you went along and there was some approval from Unai Emery and Unai Emery's people or or were you approached to to write this um specifically not necessarily by him per se but but with his blessing well uh when he came to Paris uh my French editor Bertrand Pirel contacted me and asking me if I was interested to write a book about Emery uh, first of all, I was uh, I wasn't sure because I was afraid to write a biography. He asked me that because uh, uh, before that I went to interview Unai Emery when he was at Sevilla. Mm. I'm French, but I'm living in Andalusia, and so well, uh, I started to think about the opportunity to make it, and I was very interested to talk about uh, the life in. Spanish second division, third division, the Andalusia, all these things. I was more interested by that than speaking about Unai Emery, to be honest. And uh, I started to contact his brother, Igor, that I know for quite time, and tell him my project. Um, and after that, yeah, he gave me his blessings. You have to know that the Emery's are people, uh, if they give you their trust, you have it, but you have to earn it. Okay. Uh, but I think they, they so I'm, I'm honest. I didn't want to make something, you know, saying, oh, he's the greatest or he's worse. No. Yeah. I just let the people who know him talk because it's not me who's making the story. I'm no one. I mean, yeah. I didn't play with him. I wasn't one of his players or one of his teammates. So my point was, I will ask the people who know him, the people who are closest to him, and also 
to people who are not that close to him because the important thing for me is to give the reader an honest thing. Yeah. I mean, I can't say the truth because I don't think the truth can be can exist, but something very honest. And so I say that and I ask his brother, Unai's agreed to answer for a final interview at the end of the book. It's a final interview made with all the questions and memories of all the people who know him all along his career. And uh, they say yes, and uh, before the publication in France, it was one half year ago, they didn't read it. Unai didn't read it. The oh. only thing he asked me is that he wanted criticism. He wanted critics because he, he told me maybe I can get better with that. Okay. I mean, it, was, that... it was the only thing, but there was no no other thing. I'm alone in the contract. So I put the authorized word in a way that is the first time, for example, this brother uh, accepted an interview. He accepted also several interviews. It's that way. It's because the people close to him accept to testify because they say yes, but... I was free to, to make what I want. And yeah. trust me, I didn't want, if I, for example, if you told me you can't write this kind of thing, I would say no. And I did the same after that with Edinson Cavani. It was, it was exactly the same. Right. I think that's a really important part of uh, of your job, certainly to to produce a book that is, if you're striving for honesty or something that is approaching the truth or the truth, at least as you're aware of it, that really <laughs> is important. I think one of the problems with football books is the fact that when you have an authorized biography, a player or a manager sits down with a journalist and they tell their yeah. story, it's ghostwritten, <laughs> and they have tacit approval over pretty much everything that's in the book, how certain events are told, how uh, the, the narrative of the book develops. It's, it's, um, it's a project for them to get across the side of the story that they want. Whereas I think that's very interesting. If Emery didn't even read the book before he sat down and had that interview with you, uh, I suppose, A, it shows a, a level of trust in you as a journalist or as a writer to produce something that's fair, but also um, maybe a humility on his part knowing that there will be parts of the book which might not reflect terribly well on him, he was still willing to allow those into the book. Yeah, definitely. I think you sum up it well. Um, first of all, especially, I'm, I mean, I'm no one. I'm very young. I'm freelance. You know, I don't work for big medias in France. Yeah. So, yeah, it was, it was a little bit strange in a way because they didn't want to control anything. And you know that uh, nowadays it's very complicated to... To, to make something uh, freely because, oh, there was a sponsor, there was a Coca-Cola, I don't know what, yeah. or maybe an approval of an agent, all these things. Lucky enough, I I live thanks to my work and uh, I never make a choose for money. Mm. Uh, I don't make a money for living. I, I want to be happy. What makes me happy is this kind of thing. Um, and for example... Uh, when I so I made the book, I interviewed the people in Russia because he went to Spartak, it didn't go as well. So there's the people who didn't like when I am in the book also. Mm. I also tried to contact all the people with the other argument, but there was a lot of people who didn't want to answer. I understand that. <laughs> yeah. For example, in Paris, I made the good things he did, but also the things that maybe it wasn't that good. It's not me who's saying, it's the people yeah. who, in the club, you know? Each time it was my position because I'm no one. I mean, what's on earth can I judge a work of a manager? Because I, finally, I don't know the manager. I wasn't one of his players. You know? So I can only rely to the work I made with 50 people 
who accept to give interview and it's not only just interview say oh Una is the greatest or Una is good no it's details uh, for example the run matter things about the set pieces it can give you a lot of insight of how it works because if a reader if a person will buy a book it's not to have a wikipedia book yeah if if i make a wikipedia book yeah. well i stop the, i quit this job and i'm going to <laughs> with my mom selling fruits and vegetables on the market you know because that's where i came from yeah <laughs> I want to be proud of what I'm doing. Okay, I, I, I absolutely I understand that. I think it's it's a really it's really important, you know, to uh, to have those standards. I think when you're writing something, uh, particularly when you're writing about somebody who you don't necessarily know. So I'm really curious as to how you feel like the character of Unai Emery has developed from the time he was a footballer to. To where he is now, and I think you know your your own. You can only judge that based on the people that you've spoken to and yep. the the interviews that you've done. And you can you can perhaps get you know, one person telling you as a as a young man he was like this, as a uh, a man in his forties he's like this. Like everybody, his character has developed, and you go through changes, and you mature, and you think about things differently as as you become a bit more uh, world wise. I think, but are, are there things? for example that define Unai Emery's character that have been there that are constants throughout his life from a young player through his playing career his early career in management to to PSG and to Arsenal right now um, so first of all when you talk about the evolution of every man on planet I think as you say everyone ch not changing but as an evolution mm. uh, it's maybe the main point of the book is you can see the transformation of this young player, left-sided player, winger, who was anxious. He didn't deal the pressure. In Spanish, they say he's a cagón. Someone who can't deal the, this kind of pressure. Yeah. He became someone with so full of confidence as a manager. Mm. So it's a remarkable progress. And he also speak about that very freely, about his weakness as a player and how he tried to work on it. And uh, that he found that no manager helped him uh, to live with that pressure. So, for example, in his career as a manager, he's very careful on the pressure the players have. For example, with Juan Mata, it's his first season at Valencia. He has some pressure with the media, all these things. So Mata told me they work a lot to how you can deal with that pressure. After that, the words that became, that is repeating by everyone is he love for football. Really, is. he has a nickname in Spain and means el enfermo de football. Enfermo is like a sick man, someone who has a disease, but in yeah. a good, they say this in, the, in a good way, you know, like he's mad for football. Yeah. I have one player, Laurent de Palmas, he's a, he was a right back at Almeria, and he told me, well, with the players, they fucked. Well, Unai sleeps football. He eats football. He drinks football. Maybe he fucks football, you know? <laughs> and, yeah. So that, I think that sums up the character. That is someone who really has a love for the game and also for the human being. He's is very social guy. He, you know, he's interested to people. He reads a lot. I think he's really clever. He's an intellectual person. So I would say patient. Love, intensity, and honesty. Because if you have something to tell you, he will tell you face to face. That's why 
he has maybe some troubles with players because he's direct. Yeah. If he thinks you, but obviously he, he won't say that in front of all the people in the press. Is is that's why he didn't say also very few comments in the press because he know that can be have an influence and a negative influence on some kind of players. Yeah. And well, the, the very important fact is I say this meeting one versus one. Is that, for example, in France, we say, oh, Unai Emery, how oh, we deal with this player, etc., etc. But it's because the journalists and the press didn't know what's happened behind the scenes. Because, for example, he's not a political manager. There's a lot of managers making political choice, all these things. He's a straightforward guy. If he has something to tell, he will tell you face-to-face. He doesn't care. So I would say also honesty. Yeah. Those are, those are good qualities. I mean, they... I, I have an example yeah. for the for this kind of honesty okay uh, i think it was in almeria so it was in second division of spain you can imagine it's been 27 years 28 years that almeria didn't play in la liga when i came first season get promotion okay so they will go to la liga it was a striker francisco with the best goal scorer in history of almeria he was you know like a sub player and when i uh, had a meeting with him and say well you can train with us but you you won't play in La Liga. And so the players fucked. He told me, I said, but this manager is cooky. I mean, he's arrogant. Of course I will play. It's my town. It's my club. You know, all these things. So he, he, he laughs at tonight saying, well, try to fire me. So during the preseason, Francisco was treated like everyone. And uh, Unai show him at training that he hasn't got the level. So after a couple of weeks, he leave the club. And after that, he became a really good friend with Unai. And when he has to make his coaching uh, badge, you know, this thing, yeah. he called Unai first. And he told me it was very honest from him. He was face-to-face. He didn't send someone. He told me, I think you don't you're suit in the team for that reason, that reason, that reason, that reason. You know, he didn't say, oh, you should. No, no. Yeah. And maybe it's better for you to leave. And after that, he told me he was a gentleman. He let me train. He treated me like everyone else. But... He showed me with that preseason that I won't play because I didn't have that level. Yeah. So for me, it shows honesty in a way that he acts in that case like a gentleman. That's for me. yeah. I think that's something. Yeah, that the players will respond to that, won't they? They'll respond to somebody who is straight up with them and honest. You know, most of them, most of them are mature people who can understand, even if they don't necessarily agree with a decision. I think they would appreciate it more if you're if you're if you're being told by somebody who's up front rather than leading you along. And many football managers will will avoid that kind of conflict. They don't want They're to have coward. that. Yeah. Well, I don't even know if it's cowardly per se. It's just maybe easier to Definitely. to to just not play a player and let the player get fed up and let the player make the move and let the player uh, cause the problem to make the transfer. You know, um, we we've seen that down the years. I suppose the the other side of that is is how receptive is Unai Emery to the opinions of his players, for example. So if he's willing to be upfront with a player and tell a player, you're not good enough to play at this level, or I don't think you fit in this team, which is perhaps something that we've got going on at Arsenal at the moment with Aaron Ramsey and, and his situation. Yeah. What What is he like if a player is honest with him? Is, is it a case that he's such a disciplinarian that only what he says goes or is he willing to listen and is he willing to to accept well, the opinions of others 
I will tell you one story in Sevilla. So he came at Sevilla, it was in, I think in January, the club was in mid-table, dressing room was chaos. Um, and well, he made some meetings with his players and he asked his players um, to tell what they think about the team, about how we can be better. And there was one player, defender, named Juan Cala. I think he went for Cardiff a little bit, but well. Mm. And he told me that at first he was afraid because he wanted to criticize something when the trainings. And he did, finally. And he told me the reaction of Emery and his coaching staff was great. They, they, they told him, yeah, maybe you're right. But he said to his partner, and you, what do you think? So there was players who didn't care about that, but there are also players who cares. And his coaching staff and I did it to see if the players cares. So they listen to their opinions, to everything, because they're not blind coach. For example, their managers, I, I won't quote a Portuguese manager in Premier League, that <laughs> it's his way or no way. Yeah. When I listen to, to his team, maybe too much in Paris that we can maybe critique, we can make. But it shows that, for example, you can criticize him, but he will listen. Why are you doing this? Why do you think we can be better? In, in all this thing. And I give you another example. In Sevilla, do you know the Colombian striker, Carlos Baca? Good yes. Striker. So it was a game. Baca was a sub. He enters and he didn't make a good, good game. So after the game, when I told him in front of everyone, you let us down. You let me down. You let your partners down. You let the crowd down. And Baca was upset and they started to have an argument, real argument. The players are separating them. And Baca insults Unai Emery with a really ugly insult. So how you deal with a player who lack of respect in front of everyone? So the day after that, he calls Baca to have a meeting face-to-face in his desk office. And he told me, Unai, that he wanted to, sh- to see if Baca apologized, not for him, but for his partners, for the club, and for the public, for he- the way he played. And he told us, well, I can forgive because, of course, when you're upset, sometimes you say things you don't really think. So they have a good good chat. And after that, Baka made his best season of his career. And Baka, after he leaves Sevilla, wanted to work again with Emery. So it shows how we can work with the pressure and also man management in crisis situation. For example, my player was very upset and he lost his mind mm. in a dressing room. I can deal with that. And he deals face to face. So for me, it's very interesting. And maybe in France, it's also it was part of criticism because that kind of anecdotes mm. and that kind of insight, I, I have it because I made a lot of work to, to obtain that. So when you, when you listen to that, you say, oh, so this man has some balls. He's not a coward, guys. Sure. This guy is, is, is loyal. I mean, he's, he has something. But, but, of course, when you listen to him in press conference, you say, fuck, he say nothing very interesting, all these things. Ah, that's, that's, a very, that's a very interesting point. I, I was going to ask you a couple of things, uh, but I'll, I'll ask you about this first. Um, because we've been used, at Arsenal, we've been used to Arsene Wenger, who, uh, as you know, is a very uh, experienced, but very intelligent and very interesting man. Whatever you think about uh, his quality as a football manager over the last 
part of his Arsenal career. He was always very engaging, somebody who you could find interesting at press conferences. He would often be asked about things which weren't necessarily anything to do with football or to do with Arsenal, perhaps society or politics or the world or whatever it might be. And he was always able to provide an interesting answer. So his press conferences were were enjoyable. At the moment, with Unai Emery, it's quite difficult to scratch the surface of what it is that he's saying. Now, I want to ask you specifically, because he's got a, I won't say a problem with English, he's still learning English. He's still very much in the, in the, the, the part of his life in England where he's, he's learning English and his English is a little bit idiosyncratic. It's a little bit difficult to parse from time to time. You get the, the idea of what he's saying, but, but as yet, and it's completely understandable, he doesn't have the range of expression or the fluency to, to talk in the way that he will talk in a year's time or two years' time. I think we all understand that. But uh, uh, just from what, the way that he answers questions and the way that he, he, he answers things in press conferences, should we expect him to be more expansive? Should we expect to get to know a bit more about Unai Emery, the man, or is he always going to deal with the football issues on the surface and not really go much deeper than that? Well, first of all, I don't know if you read or saw his interview face-to-face, you know, individual interviews he made all along, all along his career because they're fantastic. And he's really... There's the Unai Emery press conference and the Unai Emery one-versus-one interview. Okay. It's very different. Uh I think in, in the book, in the last interview he gave me, I think is very, very interesting. Uh, the thing is, in France, he had a lot of troubles with the press. Uh, and trust me, I'm, I'm not here to defend Unai Emery. I think this guy taught anyone to defend what he did in his career. But you can imagine that in French TV, in live, there's people treating him like a monkey, saying, oh, he's a monkey. He's as clever as a monkey. Because in France, you know, we, we're very arrogant. I'm French, I can say that. <laughs> and no, it's true. And we don't treat foreign coach, I don't understand. For example, Marcelo Bielsa, he's made a tremendous work at Leeds. I think everyone agrees in England mm. that he has something. Well, in France, we make fun of him, saying like, a guy like Marcelo Bielsa, who inspired Guardiola, all this big coach. Well, no, he's like an imposter. So, Ancelotti, we, t- we treated him not that great too. And Unai, for example, there was a problem in France. Well, you have no job. Oh, it's raining. Maybe it's Unai, Unai fault. Uh, really? It, uh, you think that everything that happened in PSG was because of Unai Emery. His fault, his fault. It was very complicated. Now, that's, it's a point of the book, is because his brother, Igor, he was contacted by some French journalist saying, well, give us some information, give us the, the, the 11 we will play, etc., and we will be nice with your brother. So it's like French journalists blackmailed, in a way, tried to blackmail mm. uh, the people close to Emery. And as I told you, the, the Emery's are very loyal, are very... If they give you their word, you can sure they will accomplish it. But you, you, you have to earn it, mm. the confidence and everything. And this kind of man is they say, no, and honestly, they, they tried to kill him. And in the club also, I, I spoke to people, director of the club, everything, everything was shocked because it seemed that everything was his fault. So I think he was so in trouble with the press. Uh, each 
sentence he did, it was a polemic. For example, once, because he had some difficulties with the French language at the beginning, and once time he, he took a bottle of water to explain him. The, the night, his brother received a, a call from a journalist saying, well, I imagine it was uh, premeditated for the buzz. So you can imagine how we have clever inference. We think that the manager of a top club trying to make buzz on social media. And I mean, you have to be fucking stupid too to think that. Mm. But that's the kind of journalist we have in France. So he, he chose to say absolutely nothing. And it's also, you have to understand, that's the pressure. I, I told you how to deal with the pressure and the press. For example, if a player is criticized by the press, maybe you will react in a way that is maybe more selfish on the pitch. Maybe, oh, I have to score goals to prove they're wrong, all these things. So he thinks a lot about that. And he didn't want to make polemics or this thing. So I don't think you will have in press conference great things. But in one versus one interview, it's really great. Oh, okay, we look, we look forward to that. Um, yeah. I, I want to ask you about, the, you know, the, the, the time at PSG. But first, I want to ask you about Spartak Moscow. And that's part, you know, in the, the extracts of the book that I've read. Um, those are the parts where perhaps there's a bit more criticism of him than from the people who worked with him in, in Spain. Now, one of the things that he said straight away when he came to Arsenal, he said, the, uh, the one thing I can promise you is that we'll work hard. So <laughs> we'll work hard and it will be hard work and it's hard work and working hard and we get that and it's great. And the thing about the Spartak Moscow thing, I think the, he said, uh, the, the, uh, Dmitry Popov said, there was a lack of of discipline um and from what we can see in these very early stages at arsenal is that look emery's not like a sergeant major he's not an army man in terms of his discipline but what he has done is impose his authority on the squad where he's come in and everyone who was a favorite of arsene wenger doesn't necessarily mean it's a favorite of unai emery everybody has been treated equal so there is that that kind of authority that you you put on a squad so was it a case that he didn't necessarily understand the russian culture the russian mentality or was it just a case that he was at the wrong club at the wrong time i think both um mm. i think when it came to sport like those complicated club because it was a war between valerie carpin who was the sporting director and wanted to be the manager and unai emery yeah, there was. You, you will see in the book. Um, um, honestly, at once he was maybe afraid to be that someone is falling in the street. It was very, it was very strange the the atmosphere then. All the managers at this this years failed in Spartak. The thing is, when Popov said he wasn't tough enough for Russian culture, and the thing is, with the Russian league, you have to put a numbers of Russian players. And these Russian players didn't have the discipline uh, for Nayemari, so he benched some of them. And after that, they will make a, I don't know, maybe a row against him. It was very hard with the Russian players. Um, the thing is, I don't think he was tough in the, in the sense that, for example, after they lose, Popov told me, in Russia, you can't smile. You can't be positive. Mm. And Unai is every, every time he's positive. So there was a chunk of culture. Uh, especially also the Russian, all this thing. So I think he, he lacks of um, not work, but he, he thought that his method in Spain will work in, in Russia. He was wrong. So he made a big mistake there. He didn't took the time to know where he's coming from. 
And this kind of mistake, he didn't make it in, in Paris, yeah. also in Arsenal. You, I can tell you, he studies the history of Arsenal, uh, everything, also in London, because he knows that the football is not feel the same way as you can be from Moscow, London, uh, even in London. There's, there's, I think the fans are quite different from Chelsea, Tottenham, Barnett, Leighton Orient, all this club. So the point is, he learns from that mistake he made in Russia uh, because he was. And that's, I also wanted to, to point it in the book, that to give the, the word to the Russian people uh, to see why he was a failure in Spartak. Because I think it's important because after that, he changed a lot of things. And after that, he, he, he was starting to listen more and more and more about all these players, all these things. And, to be, and you can see in Arsenal, he didn't destroy, he didn't erase the work made by Arsene Wenger, the legacy of Wenger. Yeah. He just tried to add something new. I, I don't like to make comparison, but if you take a Portuguese manager in Premier League, it's quite different. <laughs> yeah. When he came to a club, it's like, oh, I erase everything because now we're doing my way. Mm. Unai, it's, I'm coming to Arsenal, glorious club. I will build something with my touch, but not without... Uh, erasing what happened before. The I suppose the, the thing about it is is that he went to Spartak Moscow. It didn't work out for him, and then went to Sevilla and had a a very successful period where we all know he's won three Europa leagues uh, in a row, uh, which is a an amazing achievement. Some people might say, okay, he, he couldn't make the team progress in in the Champions League, but uh, you know, winning that winning that competition three seasons in a row is is really fantastic. Then to PSG, where I suppose you can't say it was a failure at PSG. No, he wasn't. He wasn't, even though I think there is a certain perception that maybe he didn't quite achieve as much as he should have achieved. He didn't. He didn't win the the league in his first season there, for example, which is what yeah. everybody had expected and they had wanted clearly at PSG for the club to make progress in the Champions League, and they didn't really do that. There was that incredible, crazy game well, against Barcelona. Um, yeah, you know, but. But he, he did win trophies uh, at PSG. He won trophies, yeah. So may, maybe the Spartak Moscow uh, situation was one from which he, he it was a step backwards to take a step forwards. Um, and I'm not saying that, you know, PSG was a failure in any way because clearly it wasn't when you just look at the numbers. But just in terms of the perception, I mean, do you think that will, again, some of the, the criticisms that he encountered there are very a very strange situation at a very strange club run by very strange people who <laughs> who have a very strange star player who's who casts a shadow over everything you know yeah. it's a very difficult thing for any manager to deal with it's impossible uh, i will i will tell you why but first of all um i think in psg unai gave the uh, seven he gave his not uh, when we ask him. He said, well, I put myself a seven. He was good, but he wasn't that good. Uh. I think he's right. But first of all, Monaco, when they won the title in Ligue 1, they made semi-final of Champions League, this famous win against Manchester City in Champions League with Falcao and Mbappé, all these players. Yep. Monaco has the second best points ever in the French Championship. So it was the second best team in all the history of French League, if you look at the points they have. So even... The years before that, Paris won't be champions. So I don't think it's the fall of the manager if he 
because it was very complicated his first season. He lost Zlatan Ibrahimovic. It wasn't only the star of the pitch, but of the pitch. Of the pitch, he was the king. He was the man who put discipline on the club. He also lost David Luiz. And the dressing room was very complicated in Paris because there was no boss. There was no authority. Yeah. Thing is, of course, he had trouble with some players, especially Thiago Silva, the captain. Um, I have my opinion on Thiago Silva, but it's not my opinion. It's the opinion of former players. Teammates he still have and employees at PSG. I think he's one of the most disliked players at the club ever. Amazing player. Amazing player. Mm. Little man. That's <laughs> four people in PSG. Four people, not one or two. Four people, including three teammates, told me about Thiago Silva. Off. Yeah. Because he's very selfish. So he had trouble with Unai because Unai wanted to adjust. Some kind of play. For example, Thiago Silva is a marvelous player. We all agree about that. Uh, and he's very technical. So Unai wanted to take some risk with the first pass, you know. But Silva never takes risk. He always plays the security. And sometimes he waits deeper, deeper in his own field. So there's trouble, especially the game in Barcelona. So they had some long, disc- long chats. And uh, after the first season, Unai told Thiago Silva and his president... You can stay here. If you stay that mentality, you can't. And about his captain, and look at the Real Madrid game in Champions League. They went to Santiago Bernabeu. He benched his captain. He benched Thiago Mota in that game for youngsters. President Kimpembe, who was at the won the World Cup with France, and Giovanni Lo Celso was a young Argentinian player. So he was. He made some choice at PSG, but it was very hard to work there. I mean. There were players like Thiago Silva, if they're unhappy, they call the president and the president say, oh, no, don't worry, make what you want. So you can put all the manager you want on earth, but if the club is working like that, the manager can't have any authority. Mm. I mean, it's a club. I, I will tell you some anecdotes to, to see. It's a great club, Piaget. It's a great club, great history. Fans amazing, wonderful stadium, wonderful players. But... The people running the club are from tennis. I have nothing against tennis, of course. But one of the, the most trusted advisors of Nasser Khalifi didn't know two years ago what was the offside rules. So the number two of the club, of a football club, doesn't know the offside rules. The number three of the club, named Adel Aref, he didn't know three years ago that football is a sport of a team of 11 against a team of 11. I mean, it's... Mm. I mean, I mean, how much have it's possible? <laughs> how much have it's possible? We have another example. And the youngsters, there's a father of a youngsters who work for the club. He's smoking weed on the training ground of PSG. So there's one educator saying, report it. And the direction say, oh, no, you can't say nothing to him. What? <laughs> the guy smoke weed. I mean, on the training ground around the youngsters, among the childs. And yeah. the club say, oh, no, we can't say nothing to the father. Well, look, it's yeah, look, a, a crazy situation. So I, I give you some, it, it's little facts to show you that on, I know all the clubs sometimes it's a mess, but it's really a mess. Mm. You don't know how to choose a lot, a lot of war, of influence beyond the scenes. So Unai he had one problem in Paris, is that sometimes maybe he listens too much to his teams um, because he, you know, he, he, I think he's really someone who likes democracy, but the real one, you know, when you listen to everyone, of course, it's the manager, so it's him who has the final word. But he listens to his squad, and the problem in Paris is that the players are too powerful. And I mean, 
imagine, for example, you Arsenal seeing the big star. Do you think the board of Arsenal will put lights on Big Ben, saying, "Oh, welcome to the new player," like Paris PSG did for with the Eiffel Tower with Neymar? Well, look, no, I don't think it's our like, oh, I don't think our owner would spend that money, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> either on yeah, the player yeah. or Big Ben. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's I know. like Hollywood. Yeah, it is. It is. Look, I, I really. I don't think he was. If I can finish, yeah. I don't think he was suited that much for for that club. I think he's really suited for Arsenal's club. And I think maybe Thomas Tuchel, nine PSG, was also troubled with uh, the direction, with everything. He wanted a midfielder. He didn't have midfielder during the transfer because he was very complicated. And now in France, people started to to understand that. The PSG had a lot of problems. I mean, Ancelotti failed in Champions League. Laurent Blanc failed in Champions League. Unai Emery failed in Champions League. And for the moment, they only third in their group stage of Champions League. Mm. So that that shows that the fault is not the manager, but more the yeah. global problem. So look, you said that Arsenal is a club that you think will, will suit him. Um, it, it's a... a if it was a strange situation at PSG, it's also a bit of a strange situation at Arsenal because Arsene Wenger was there for so long and any manager who comes in after a manager who's been there for such a long time has, a, I think, a more difficult job because you're the, you're the next man. As we saw with David Moyes at Manchester United, the job was just too big for him. I think Manchester United in general is is certainly a bigger club than Arsenal. So I'm not saying that's the case with Unai Emery, but it wasn't a case that he was coming in. It was all roses in the garden. It was a difficult <laughs> situation for him to come in, particularly as his appointment uh, was something of a surprise that he wasn't really somebody whose name had been mentioned and everybody was talking about uh, Mikel Arteta and there were some other names out there, Allegri, and then all of a sudden it was it was Unai Emery. What exactly, just very briefly before we go, what makes you think that Arsenal is a club which suits Unai Emery and also Unai Emery as a manager that might suit Arsenal? Uh, first of all, what I said about Paris, I repeat it, fantastic club. It's just owned by dishonest people. But it's a case of many clubs. That's the first thing. And as I told, he made some good things in Paris, some not that good things. Okay. Now, but Arsenal, as you say, is not all, ro- all rose in the garden, especially now with Gassidis leaving, with the, because Arsenal is changing since a like, couple of years with the sporting director, Raul Sanlei. I don't know if I pronounce it well. Mm. The two people who now running the transfer is Raul and Sven, if I'm correct. Yes, so Sven Mislintai. Yeah. We're in a club also with the ownership that is currently of an evolution. That's the first thing. The second thing is for me, my point of view, Arsenal is a massive club in the way that it wasn't only the first professional club in London. It was was much more than that. It was Arsenal Wenger brought a legacy of how the game should be played, of how a club must be run, must be managed. Maybe we can criticize that, but he gave a real image of what is Arsenal, real DNA. But as you say, it wasn't that great at the end. Okay. But it's, I think it's very hard, first of all, to pass after someone like that. We see that in Manchester United, for example, mm. after the leaving of Ferguson. But I think, first of all, there's no the shadow of Arsene Wenger at Arsenal like 
David Moyes had the shadow of Sir Alex Ferguson at Manchester United, first of all. First of all. Yeah, Wenger's not there. The you can't compare David Moyes and Unai Emery's career. I mean, Emery won titles almost everywhere, except in Spartak. Sure. So he's experimented. He know the foreign experience. Why I say he's suited to that club is because, in my point of view, Arsenal is a part of the beautiful game. Arsenal, when I remember growing up, watching the Invincibles and a lot more, the way they play football is the way Unai Emery likes football. And with the squad he had, of course, he's not the best squad of, of the Premier League. I think we all agree about that, especially defensively. Yeah. But he has the kind of player with the good mentality, with the mentality he likes. Better check, Nacho Monreal, um, but also Lacazette. He, wants Lacazette. he wanted Lacazette to Paris. Also. Yeah. Uh, the kind of youngster like Gendouzi, Torreira, Holding, Chaka. Well, Chaka is not that young, but you understand. Yeah. He will be. So... He has the kind of player who are ready to say, I want to be better. So what I have to do to be better? So he, he can work as a coach, as a real coach. And that's the thing he loves. And when I see the, the Arsenal games this season, they weren't that great. Sometimes it was complicated, but I saw team spirit. I saw something. I saw, I saw brave people. I saw people were trying to fight for my teammates. Mm. The best example is Torreira or Lacazette. Maybe Lacazette don't score at every game. But he works, he sucks off for the team. He's, maybe he made mistakes in the game against Crystal Palace, but he wasn't selfish. And I think that's very important because his team is currently responding well to what is ex, uh, waiting for his team. So I think he's suited in that way. And because also he's not, I mean, if you list the top, top, top manager in the world, maybe Unai Emery is not in the top five, but we know he's a good manager. He wants almost everywhere. He has a reputation of a gentleman. And I think Arsenal needs, needed someone after Wenger who plays also the beautiful game in the way that Unai Emery is not a manager who makes the transfer fee. He's not a guy speaking with agent and he's not a manager like, unfortunately, we see too much in England, the Harry Redknapp Samalota style. Yeah. It's the opposite of that. Good. He has something <laughs> pure about him. And that's why I think he's true to Arsenal. Maybe... I don't know. It's a new structure now in Arsenal. Gets his sleeve. So we have to see because obviously Unai wants more perfection. He wants more... Uh, he's exigent. He wants more... How can I say that? He's perfectionist. He, he cares about all the details. Sure. There was great works about Arsenal, but they need to improve. And I think Unai can help the club improve on that kind of details. And also, Arsenal seems to be a perfect spot for him. I mean, it's a great club. You leave Paris, going to Arsenal, it's not a step back for me. Mm. Definitely. Well, look, we, we're still very much in the early days or the early months of, of what Unai Emery is doing. Uh, so it's going to be very interesting to see if he can impose that especially kind of... at the beginning of season. Yes, of course. Games, especially the Chelsea game was, yeah. honestly... When you see the first half, you say, but, <laughs> but well, yeah. they lose. So he, he had a lot of pressure after Wenger, these things. And now they didn't lose a single game. And especially because of the team spirit. And you can see that the team is getting a little bit better offensively. Defensively, is still very complicated for me. But offensively, you can see that. You can see also that the team is reacting well to the turnover he made. Because he made a lot of turnover. Mm. And I think it's very important that he bench Ozil, he bench Ramsey, he bench Aubameyang. That's a strong choice. Mm. For the moment, the players are responding well. Yeah. And for example, Ozil was furious to be subbed in the last game against Crystal Palace. 
And you know what? Emery loved that kind of reaction because if the player didn't care if he plays or not, he's not implicated in the team. Sure, I understand. The players show, I want to play more. I want to. I want more. It's good, and he likes to work on that. Yeah, that's very. That's that's curious. I do wonder, and I have wondered uh, throughout the start of this season if some of the, the decisions he's made aren't explicitly for football reasons, you know, or for tactical reasons. They're to try and gauge the character of some of the players that he has. Yeah. Can you repeat, please? Because I didn't hear the last uh, sentence. Well, I think some of the decisions that he's made. aren't necessarily just for football or tactics. They're a way for him to see the character of the players that he has, to gauge how they react in situations like that so he can get a more rounded view of who they are. Definitely. Uh, He's someone who loves the psychological uh, aspect. He's a good reader. He reads almost two or three books a week sometimes about psychology, how to manage a group, all this stuff. And so each day with his assistant, Juan Carlos Carcedo, they spoke about how we can deal with that player in, the, in his head. Carcedo told me, a player, when you discover a player, you discover like a new world, but you still don't know which button you have to push. Yeah. You push yeah. that button, that, okay, that reaction, okay, so maybe we have to push that button, you know? So, of course, he's starting to learn not only the player, but also the human being, because before talking to the player, he has to talk to a human being. Sure. So I know he has a lot of chats with Lucas Torreira, for, for example, because he didn't speak English. At first he was a little bit lost because he's someone who came from a little town in Uruguay, very humble guy. For example, when his father came uh, visiting him, his father is a butcher, if I'm correct. Uh, he didn't say nothing. You know, there's some people at Arsenal who have the families. And after a while, he asked the, the person the question. He told him, uh, but did my son say hello to people? He didn't ask, well, my son play well. Or, no, did my son say hello to people? Mm. And that's maybe summarized the character of Torreira, you know, very humble, shy guy. So I know the, the coaching staff is uh, helping him a lot, you know, to adapt in his own, own life, all this thing. And uh, so first of all, you spoke about the human being. And after that, maybe the player will respond better because first of all, we're interested of who you are, yeah. not... Lucas Torreira, not Torreira the player, but Lucas. Yeah, sure. I get it. Well, look, it's been great talking to you, uh, Romain. I wish you every success with the book. It's out now. People can buy it. It's called El Maestro, the authorized biography. Thanks a million for talking to me. It's been fascinating. Many thanks for the invitation, Andrew. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com 
That was Romain Molina, the author of El Maestro, the authorised biography of Unai Emery, and the publishers have very kindly given me a signed copy of the book to give away. We'll do a competition. It'll be a very easy question. Uh, Okay, tell me, which club did Unai Emery win the Europa League with three times in succession? Pretty simple. Tell me which club he won the Europa League with three years in succession. Email your answer, please, to competition at arsblog.com. That's competition at arsblog.com. I'll pick a winner out for Friday's show. If I remember, if I don't, I'll give you the winner on Monday's or Sunday's Arscast Extra, depending on whenever it is James can do the recording this weekend. So there you go. Hope you enjoyed this. A special bonus edition of the podcast. I hope you enjoyed this 500th edition of the podcast. Again, my sincere thanks to everybody who's put up with me all this time. Uh, I appreciate it a huge amount because otherwise I'd just be some mad weird guy in my office talking into a microphone with nobody listening. So knowing you guys are out there and downloading and subscribing and everything else every week, uh, it means a great deal. So thanks again. I will have a podcast on Friday. It'll probably be a little bit later on Friday morning because of course we are playing on Thursday night against Sporting in the Europa League and chances are I'm going to need to organize things for Friday morning. The plan then will be to get the podcast up at some point before lunchtime on Friday. So look, it's all out of my hands. It's not my fault. I didn't make us qualify for the Europa League, but hopefully next season we can get back to normal playing Champions League football and having an uninterrupted Friday podcast schedule. So that's it. Anyway, look, Thanks again. Catch you on the next one. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye. Hello everyone. It's me, Arsene Van Garhoten. I can't believe this is the 500th episode of the Arscast. I remember the very first one, all those years ago. That youthful exuberance. The unbridled optimism that Arsenal might win the league again. Perhaps even get to another Champions League final or two. That the club would retain its best players that the new stadium would help fund a new era of success and achievement. And look where we are now. Just look. I mean, all this time has gone by, yet nobody has asked the most obvious question. Why hasn't this faulty Irish wanker found something better to do with his time? He's worse than a dolphin that loves Phil Collins. Oh yes. P.S. 
John Terry is a cunt. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.